Good morning, church family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, if you have a Bible with you. Ephesians 1. We are so blessed, aren't we? Well, that didn't sound much like a blessed people. We are so blessed, aren't we? That's much better. The simple fact that we are able to worship together and pray together and read God's word with one another, even just being together as one family in God, is an immense blessing that we certainly take for granted often. We are a blessed people in so many ways. At our house, we're trying to plant in our two-year-old's little mind just how blessed we are. We try to get her to repeat after us and, uh, and name our blessings together that God has given us. So before dinner and before we put her to bed, one of us will say, God, and she'll say, God, thank you, and she'll say, thank you, and we'll go through a list of things that we are thankful for, things like our food and our toys and our house and our church and mommy and daddy, of course, but then the last thing that we always want her to repeat and one day incorporate into her own prayers is how thankful we are for Jesus, or as she says, Juice us, because we want her to understand that without the blessing of Jesus being in our lives, nothing else would really matter. And this is something that you know as a Christian, and this is something that Paul is going to really drive home in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. We finished one prison epistle last week, Uh, prison epistles meaning that Paul wrote them from prison, probably during his first Roman imprisonment. So today I thought we could work our way through another prison epistle, this time the letter to the Ephesians. And like Philippians, it's a little bit difficult to sort of pin down just one or two main themes and ideas that Paul wanted to communicate to the Ephesians. But if we sort of took everything he says here, there would be a couple main things that come to the surface. First of all, it's that in Christ's atonement, a way has been provided for God to reconcile all of humanity to himself. And then secondly, this letter tells us how we as Christians should live out our lives as a result of this great act of redemption that God has uh, expressed to us. So to put it kind of in simpler terms here, he tells us what God has done in chapters 1 through 3, and then in chapters 4 through 6, he tells us what we should do because of what God has done. And let me just say that Paul really pulls out the big guns here from the very start. Uh, He just hits the ground running in chapter 1, telling us what God has done for us. In fact, he gives us seven blessings that we now have thanks to Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And each one of these seven blessings are so monumentally huge that they have the ability to turn our attention away from everything negative going on in the world and everything negative that might be going on in our lives. Because we can just marvel and rest in the fact that if we are in Christ, we have these seven things in Him. So maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian. Well, hopefully you can leave today with an an even deeper sense of love towards God and peace in what He has done and is doing in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. 
Well, hopefully you can leave here as well knowing exactly what it is that excites Christians so much. These seven life-changing truths that are freely given to those in Him. So see if you can pick out some of these as we read the text together in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. And there are so many fascinating things here. But before we kind of uh, jump into these things, though, we need to give some attention to this phrase, in him or in Christ. You probably noticed just how many times that Paul used this phrase. If I counted right, and I've never been very good at math, so you might need to catch me afterwards and say, actually, I think there was a few more, a few less. At least in the ESV, I counted nine times where he used the phrase uh, in Christ or in him or in the beloved, something to do with being in Jesus. So like I said, there are seven wonderful spiritual blessings found in Christ that Paul talks about here. But first of all, he wants us to know that they are only available to those that are in Him, in Jesus. So a great question that we should ask ourselves before we get too far here is what does it mean to be in Christ? And I think the Bible sort of gives us at least two main things of this idea of being in Christ. First of all, Romans 6, 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So Paul tells us here that, first of all, those that were alienated from God initially enter into Christ by means of their baptism. But then there's another sense that's expressed in places like Romans 12, 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So those in Christ have been baptized into him, but here being in Christ also means being a part of the body, hurting with those who hurt, rejoicing with those who rejoice, drawing on one another's strengths, 
and spurring on one another to good works. So he's saying that being in Christ is also being in the church. It means being a part of the local body of believers. So sort of keep that tucked in the back of your mind as Paul talks about all of these blessings reserved for those in Christ. He's speaking to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, have been baptized into him, and are members of Christ's body, the church. So let's see what Paul says here, this first blessing for those in Christ. And first of all, he says, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in verse 3. So before Paul gets more specific with some of the other blessings he's going to talk to us about, he first says, just so you know, just so we're all on the same page here as I begin this letter, in case you were wondering, if you are in Christ, you have it all. You could not be more blessed if you're in Christ. There's nothing that you lack if you are in Christ. Now we might say, yeah, Paul, but it'd be nice to have a little bit more money, right? We might say, well, sure, Apostle Paul, but it would be nice to have a few less problems, right? You you say we have every blessing. We couldn't be more blessed. But that's why Paul specifically says that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This phrase, heavenly places, is uh, pretty important to Ephesians. We're going to see it come up several times here. And as we first read it, we probably associate it with heaven, as in the place that we go when we die. But in chapter 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly places. So when Paul uses this phrase, he's talking about the spiritual realm, the spiritual reality that is just as present and just as real as the physical reality that we are in. So he's saying that as Christians, we sort of have one foot in this physical reality and the other foot in a spiritual reality. So the idea is that even though things might not be going so well in the physical realm, and if you've lived through 2020, you can say amen to that, we are already living as citizens of heaven and being blessed with every spiritual blessing now. So think about the the peace that this should give us. Even though things might not be going well in the physical realm, even though things were certainly not going well with Paul in his physical realm, he's imprisoned as he's writing this, we still have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we can live not as citizens of this world, but as citizens of heaven and not get too tied down in the circumstances that might be going on uh, right now on this earth. Even though the physical world wasn't on his side, might not be on our side, we are still blessed, blessed immeasurably. Let's see the next thing he says here. He's about to get more specific about what some of these blessings are. And in verse 4, he tells us that in Christ we have been chosen. More specifically, he tells us that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Sometimes when I'm laying in bed at night and can't sleep, I have uh, just some crazy thoughts cross my mind, some questions that I have. Maybe you uh, think about such things as well late at night. One thing I think is... Do you ever wonder what God was up to before creating the earth? I mean, he had an infinite amount of time before creating the world and creating humanity. So what did he do? 
Well, Paul sort of gives us a peek here. And he says, before speaking anything into existence, before anything that is material came to be, he had you and me specifically on his mind. And he was actively developing a plan to save us. You know, one of the worst feelings in the world is the feeling of being alone and being unknown. So school is starting back up. There's a lot of college students right now that have moved to some campus away from their place of comfort. They've moved away from home and they're at some new place. And they're having to face that difficult feeling for the first few weeks of being unknown. Maybe kind of being lonely in some sense. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've been lonely, you you felt alone, or you you felt like there's no one that could really understand you or your personality or your specific circumstance in this world. But Paul tells us here that before there was such a thing as planet Earth, he knew you and me and chose us in Christ. From before the beginning of time, he knew every single detail about you and he had a purpose and plan for your life. And I think that should comfort us. And it's a much more attractive and fulfilling option than saying that we are all a product of chance that came from millions of years of evolution. We're not chance, are we? God has put us here with a specific goal and plan to glorify Him. He knew what He was doing and He loved us and knew us fully even before we took our first breath. Now this is not to say that He chose certain people to be unholy, And he chose others to be holy. As my uncle, his name is Chris Swinford, he's a great preacher. He said he chose us because someday he knew that we would choose him. We are chosen in Christ. Let's look at this next blessing, this third one. Verses 5 and 6. In Christ we have been adopted. Now it's interesting that Paul uses this word adopted here. When talking about the salvation process, John and Peter normally use the phrase and the image of being born again. But Paul normally takes a different route. He talks about being adopted or grafted into the family of God. Maybe that's because he was talking to Gentiles primarily. Like adoptions in our culture, Roman adoptions normally took a long time and were rather expensive. And under Roman law, a father could disown and even kill his biological children for a variety of reasons. And believe it or not, this actually did happen. But when a father adopted a child, there was no provision in the Roman law for a father to abandon him. That child, that adopted child, had a brand new identity. He took on a new family name and could never be disowned or forsaken by his new parents. So it's becoming more clear why Paul uses this adoption language. It was a loaded term for him to use as he explained what the new relationship was between God and us. In Christ, we are adopted, meaning that our past is erased and we have a brand new identity and family name and new father who will never leave us or forsake us. In Christ, we are adopted. Number four, in Christ we have both redemption and forgiveness, verses 7 and 8. These two words kind of have similar meanings, but Paul uses both of them so that we can have a more three-dimensional view of our salvation. To redeem something means to pay the price and set something free. 
In the Roman Empire, there were approximately 60 million slaves. And as you can imagine, they were bought and sold almost like furniture just regularly. Well, it was possible for a man to buy a slave and pay the price for him and set him free. And this is the exact idea that Paul says here. He says, we were enslaved to sin, completely unable to buy ourselves out of the hole that we were in. But Jesus paid that price of redemption so that we could be free people in him. He has redeemed us. But he also says that we have been forgiven in Christ. And this word forgive has the, uh, the imagery of, of carrying away something. So he's probably drawing on the Old Testament idea in Leviticus 16 of the high priest on the day of atonement that would confess Israel's sins over a live goat and then send that goat away in the wilderness, never to be seen again, uh, to be lost. He carried away Israel's sins. And in Christ, our sins are once and for all carried away. You know, some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible describe what it is that God has done to our sins in Christ. It's just wonderful. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then very violently in Micah 7.19, he says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's pretty violent language, isn't it? But in Christ, our sins are taken away. They are cast into the depths of the sea. And I think I said this the other day, but you know when uh, ships go down in the ocean or a plane goes down or something pretty big like that sinks in the sea, it's actually common for things to never be found again. And that's the idea that Paul is saying here, is that in Christ, our sins are totally and finally dealt with. Which makes it so interesting that we regularly bring our own sins back up. And it's interesting that we bring the sins of others back up, isn't it? Because Paul says that in Christ they are done away with. They are carried away. So that's a good lesson for us to remember. Here's the fifth thing from verses 9 and 10. It's that in Christ we know the mystery of God. There are different meanings of mystery when Paul uses this word. But here I think he sort of spells out what he's talking about in verse 10. The mystery that in Christ, uh, the mystery is that in Christ all things are being united under him. Maybe more specifically, the mystery is that because of Christ, both Jew and Gentile are united together as one. And then this new group of people that God has made between both Jew and Gentile is now united with him. And this plan was a mystery because no one before Jesus, not Abraham, not Jacob, not Moses, none of the prophets, no one could begin to fathom what it was that God was going to do when he took on flesh and made his grand appearance on earth. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. He says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about, when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in power 
uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So what he's saying is that what people of God throughout the Old Testament long to know and understand, you and I now have a full knowledge of. And we should take great comfort in that. You don't need to go to school and get a degree in Bible to understand what the mystery of God's will is. Maybe you went to school and you didn't get very good grades. Well, you can still know and understand God's will. Why? Because understanding the will of God has less to do with academics and our our mental, mental capacity and most to do with being in Christ. In fact, some of the most knowledgeable people, even about the Bible have very little knowledge about the will of God. But if you are in Christ, you can know fully what the will of God is. Okay, Paul gives us two more things here, and they kind of go hand in hand. Number six, in Christ we have an inheritance, verses 11 and 12. I think especially if you have kids, you have probably thought about where you want your assets to go when you're gone. And in most families, it's common for the children of parents to inherit most everything. Uh, This is the idea. It's because we are in Christ, we receive every blessing of our Father. Now, this would have been good enough, wouldn't it? God could have stopped here and said, I'm going to give you everything because you are in Christ. But if we keep reading, he goes above and beyond to show us just how serious he is about this inheritance. Number seven. Because he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So God wanted to communicate to us just how serious he is about us belonging to him. So he has given us a portion of our inheritance right now by giving his Holy Spirit to every single believer. In fact, this is pretty interesting. If you were to go to modern Greece right now, you would find that the word Paul used here that's translated as guarantee or pledge in some translations is the word that they now use for engagement ring. And that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? When a guy buys an engagement ring and gives it to his fiancée, he is pledging that promises made will be kept and that there is a great wedding day in the future. He's making a promise, isn't he? Well, in giving us his Holy Spirit, God is doing The same thing. He's giving us an identifying stamp that marks us as being uniquely His. And it's that spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are children of His. And then a day is coming when we will receive all of the promises that He has made to us. It's this spirit that comforts us and teaches us and shapes us and molds us into who He wants us to be. Praise God for Him making a home in us by his spirit. So I ask you again, aren't we so blessed in Christ? We are a blessed, blessed people. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. I imagine all of us have some good things and some bad things going on. I imagine all of us have some exciting things and some challenging things going on, but we are able to navigate all of life's circumstances because in Christ we have it all. We lack nothing if we are in Him. Maybe this morning you are in Christ and you've forgotten that for some reason. 
Maybe you benefit from letting us pray for you so that you could be more in tune to these spiritual blessings that are so freely yours in Christ. We would love to pray for you if we can this morning. On the other hand, maybe you aren't in Christ, but you've heard about all of these wonderful, life-changing blessings that are available for you and you want in. Well, as uh, uh, the church family here, we would love nothing more than to see you take that step of faith in baptism so that God just lavishes you. That's the language Paul uses. Lavishes you with all of these blessings in Christ. I promise you, you will leave here a changed person. However we can serve you today, we would love to do so as we stand and sing.